And welcome to episode two of Pinoy's versus the World. I'm Jess Wanich. And I'm Harald Hilsa. And we're coming to you from Seattle in the Central District, in the Madrona neighborhood, all over the 206. We are live. Live. We are live, vibrant, whatever adjective you want to add in there. We're so happy to have you all listening to us today as we delve into local news, sports, politics, our big picture story, as well as our arts and culture, cultura recommendations for you are. Cultura. It's going to be a special episode. You think so, Harald? Oh, man. This is going to be the most special episode we've ever done. We've only done two, but this is going to be, this is wild. Just strap in. Just strap in and get ready. Just like go into your car. Put on your seat buckle. Don't start the car, but like Bluetooth it into the speakers because you want to hear us from like in the oh, 3D audio. Oh, surround sound. I'm saying surround sound. Yeah, brought to you always in a surround. Brought to you by all gas, no brakes. Dol- Dol- <laughs> yo, yo, shout out Andy Callian. Uh, this is this is a very different podcast, but shout out the shout out the homie. What's the time and the weather? Because it is really yeah. warm. In my closed door room, <laughs> trying to trying to get rid of all the um, wow, my stomach just grumbled and I don't know. Did if you, you eat yet? Did you get dinner? <laughs> Yo, I had like a bowl of cereal. Again, we'll get into it. A lot's happened today. What's the weather and time and day we're recording? For sure. Santa? So currently, where we're at right now, we're in Seattle at a balmy 70 degrees it is currently 7 13 p.m pacific standard time with a high of 74 degrees and a low of 46 degrees it is currently sunny with some scattered clouds uh mostly cloudy going into the night here as the temperatures drop um but did you enjoy today Harold? i feel like today was such a beautiful day Yo, it's just been warm. Look, I'm not even spending time outside. I feel bad. My mel- my my melanin is really like suffering. And it has been for the last year. I'm really trying to get back outside. I get my second shot in a couple mm. weeks. As yeah. do you. So, uh, you know, I wish I could be outside walking. I probably should go on a walk. I might go on a walk after we're done recording. It's beautiful out. It's one of those Seattle days. Not a cloud yes. in the sky. Um, we got young Steve Poole over here. Shout out to Steve Poole. Oh, we got young Steve. We got young Steve Poole over here telling y'all what you're probably living right now if you're in Seattle. Um, but it's gonna start raining later this week, so enjoy it while you can. Yo, those the May, May showers, showers are coming. Are no, the we, April showers. We, the April showers. We are Prometheus. We are. Wait, is that what? It, no, no, that's not what it is. We're Nostradamus. <laughs> Predicting the future out here. We we can we can predict the future. Y'all put your bets down. 2021. May showers. <laughs> Go to Vegas. Oh my God, <laughs> the flowers will be there for Mother's Day. That's what we're. Yes, to get that'll be a special, thing. special episode. Um, well, that's later down the line. But shout out to all the moms out there. Yeah. Shout but out to hey, the Lolas, the Titas. Shout, shout out all the women yes. in our life. Um, amazing people. I, I wouldn't be there without them. I, nor yeah. would you. They are. So. They have been such rocks in our life, man. Yeah, just holding it down, keeping so this it together. Is, this is your, this is your pre-month reminder. To buy those flowers for your mothers for your, on Mother's Day or your motherly figures. Yes, and not just the showers for oh, the rain. Them. Shower them with love, the, the super spreading of love. <laughs> shout Yo. out to Jerry Garone. Hey. Shout out Jerry. <laughs> shout out Jerry. <laughs> it's all love out here. It's oh, all love, man. Jared. 
it is so Appreciate warm in you. here. It does not help that I know we're going to be laughing for every minute for the yes, next hour. So if you're currently listening to us indoors, which you should be, please get a glass of water, buckle your seatbelts. Oh, well, don't buckle your seat. Oh, no, do, do buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> Yo, because we were talking about this before. Not a single old house in Seattle has air conditioning. Not a single, because we already know this only happens for like three months a year. If you have air conditioning built into your house, you are a gentrifier. That is a preview. Harald, I don't have AC. Do you have AC in your house? I have no AC. You can see the trickling sweat on my forehead. <laughs> the little raindrop. Should not be wearing a hat right now. I'm a raindrop all the way down. I'm drenched right now. My favorite Liverpool shirt. Again, we'll touch on everything we are mentioning right now. Yeah. So, but if you've got AC built into your home, you're either very wealthy or a gentrifier or both. We're all gentrifiers in a way. But you especially. If you don't have a built... We, we have fans mm, in this same. household. We have rotating same. fans. Albeit, we bought... A Dyson Ooh, recently. That's so. pretty cool. The one without the one without the stuff. cylindrical w- one the without blades. the blades. I don't know why it's cylindrical. Shout shout out shout out Costco wow. deals. Costco, where they keep the costs low. Another unofficial sponsor. Wow. Keeping the costs. Low. Speaking of Costco, unofficial sponsor of the future. <laughs> and speaking of Costco, hit us for this. <laughs> so no, it's all good. But speaking of Costco, as another local. Uh, business. We're gonna jump into local news. They're just a massive conglomerate. <laughs> They're like not. They don't qualify. They don't qualify. Business. They also have a national scope, which turns us into local and national news. So as we are today, um, as you all may have heard, since today's April nineteenth, that was the deadline for President Biden's administration to expand eligibility to vaccine inoculation is that what you'd call it vaccine eligibility you just get the vaccine you get vaccinated vaccination vaccination eligibility for everyone 16 plus nationwide um thankfully myself and harald have already gotten our first dose uh harald what was your vaccine yeah, I got uh, that Pfizer, 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 Pfizer game, Pfizer game. Yeah, no, this is a Pfizer household for me too, man. This, yeah. Yes, all my homies get Pfizer shots or any available vaccine shots. That How you are you feeling get. after the first one? Yeah, my arm felt like a three-ton rock, but it's worth it. <laughs> got to exercise it, man. Got to keep it moving. Like the Yo, Mazda, no, zoom, they, zoom. I mean, hey, they tell you, <laughs> zoom, they tell you, you're supposed to like use both your arms when you get the mm-hmm. shot. So like not to like, oh, I don't, I don't know the reasoning. I just listen to my doctors most of the time. Sometimes I'm like, okay, cool. I guess you're a doctor. <laughs> so I shouldn't question you. But yeah, no, obviously this time around, a hundred percent, like I feel them. So they just told me that they're like, they sit you down for 15 minutes. It's kind of surreal. You're just like kind of just chilling there. You got your mask on. Everyone's got their mask on. Everyone's like mad chilling. No one like was having any reactions. Nice. We're out of there. I was in and out of there in like 30 minutes. Such a nice That's experience. Awesome. Oddly, I hate yeah. shots, but they were just like talking to me about how this is like a world changing event. And I was like, whoa, living history. Boop, it was over. I was like, whoa, you gave me a shot. I was like, she was like, don't look at the needle. It's kind of long. <laughs> and I was like, dope. I get very oh, nauseous. Yeah. I wanted to be a doctor growing up and i just realized by like age six that wasn't gonna happen for a multitude of reasons number one i hate blood and needles so like mm-hmm. boom there you go out, out i feel the game. you bro i feel you bro that definitely scares me but what doesn't scare me is making sure that you know all our family all our friends are protected so if you are eligible yes, for sir. the vaccine as of today monday april 19th please register for an appointment wherever you can within your state within your city your locale 
Uh, it's really important that we all play our part in ending this pandemic and getting vaccinated is a great step to do that. Check out WashingtonVaccineFinder.com. Yes. That's not a word for word thing, but Google it. Everyone's got Google. Or if you use Bing, congratulations. <laughs> Jumping into other national news that's been on the headlines recently. We want to acknowledge what's going on both in Chicago and Minneapolis, both with the justice for Adam Toledo, a 13-year-old who lost his life to the hands of uh, police brutality, as well as Dante Wright in Minneapolis. Um, it's so... I don't even know what word to describe it, but just like seeing the intersections between, you know, these young lives being taken by police brutality, something that, you know, we've talked about in the previous episode in terms of how this violence is perpetuated against communities of color um, at the hands of these institutions that, you know, quote unquote, were designed as, you know, worked by design as they were supposed to, just in terms of, you know, how they continue to mistreat black, brown, communities across this uh, country and while you know their lives were lost it's going on the same time as you know Derek Chauvin's trial is going on in Minneapolis so you know there's a lot of tension a lot of feelings a lot of things that are going on um, just in terms of how all this is holding up and I know like that's been very difficult uh, to hear on the news very difficult to process um, with friends, family, and loved ones as this continues to go on. Um, but we want to continue to acknowledge that um, black lives matter. We want to acknowledge that, you know, the injustices we see within the different institutions um, were meant to harm communities of color. And as we continue to see these injustices, it's important for us you know, not only as Filipino Americans, but, you know, as people of color, people of um, different identities with what we bring to the world with our lived experiences to advocate against these continued injustices. Um, and it's just important that we continue to be aware of what's going on, continue to fight for what is right, and also to acknowledge what is wrong. Right. Because we, we can't continue to do the work if we're not putting in the work. Um, so that's definitely important. Harald, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think pretty much everything Jess spoke on and again, not directly connected to what we spoke on last episode, which had to do with Asian hate and racism. And like I kind of said there, like I said what I said there for a reason, because obviously at this that moment in time, and it hasn't stopped, obviously, like by any means since we talked about that even before then with what seemed like the peak of the national spotlight on that. We're now back to another young black person dying, like black teenager, just black youth as well. Like I, anyone who is black in this country and in Adam Toledo's case being brown, just death by the hands of the police. And, right. and in the case of Dante Wright just again i don't want to describe the event mm -hmm. you know what happened and mm -hmm. for that mistake to happen is not even just irrehensible and again not words don't ever describe it 
and it, it's too often what happens in the country. And like Jess said, today, uh, the Derek, the trial on Derek Chauvin over the murder of George Floyd is going to the jury today. And all you see across the news is cities prepping like they did last summer. And it just seems like it's a cycle. Um, and people, you know, y'all are going to choose to do what you want in terms of attacking the system head on. It's just plenty of ways to do it. I have no words that I haven't expressed prior, I think. And yeah, man, I, I, I don't want to undercut this every single time, at least coming from me personally, right. as being any less or more than what happened prior. And it, it's a cycle of violence. And when it's going to stop, look, who knows? It's just up to folks to work within this, their systems to fight back against it and make sure it continues to stop. But every time we say that, or I say that even. Totally, totally. And um, it's also an important time to, you know, check in on your friends. But, you know, not in the way like, oh, like, have you seen what's going on in the news? But just in terms of, like, catching up, um, connecting with them over a meal, over, you know... A shared interest, um, anything to, you know, ground yourselves um, in being present with your friends, your loved ones, your family. Because um, I know that just seeing all of this on the news, on the media, can be very energy draining. Can be, you know, a loophole or not like a loophole, but just like a time suck into doom scrolling. And that can have a serious effect on our mental health. So please, if you, you know, have the time, you know, give space for yourself, give space for your friends, your family, um, and continue to be there for those that um, are in your community. We're going to turn it over to sports. Harald, what's what's new oh, yeah. in the sports world today? Yo, Seattle's on top of the world, baby. The Seahawks are retaining all these amazing players. Russell's here to stay for the interim. I, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Offensive line's <laughs> looking good. Draft is coming up. Excited about that. The Seattle Mariners, if you listen to episode one, we said it was their year. Sure, it was semi-jokingly, but now we were right. Because guess what? We're in first place, baby. First Ten place. and six. We're looking oh, great. That We've sounds had, like a Seahawks record right there. 10 yo, six. That is a Seahawks record. That's enough to win the uh, the NFC West in like two. That's a winning record. <laughs> it's a winning record. That's the biggest thing. Finish above 500, you got a shot. But a lot of uh, a lot of talk about us being the comeback kids in the early days of. Shout out to Ken um, Griffey. Shout out Griffey. Kid. Shout out 95. <laughs> We're just trying to like not just live <laughs> in the past forever. So, you know, shout out 95, but also let's like make 2021 a thing. Um, mm. Like we were talking about, see us rise is this year's social media push by the M's. <laughs> C spelled C E A. You mean like S? C- Whoa! Oh, oh, you thought? <laughs> I thought, yo, S E A. Like Seattle. He said C E A. What? What are you working for the government? C I A. C I A. Alphabet soup. Head. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, shout out the Mariners. We're playing the best team in baseball tonight, reigning World Series champs, um, the Dodgers. So we'll see how that goes. I'm looking at the score right now. We're up 2-0. Amazing. Nice. Um, so keep playing well, M's. Sounders played uh, as well in their season opener against Minnesota United. Um <laughs> Shout out uh, the 2020 Western Conference Final. That was insane. Um, but yeah, we won 4-0. Incredible. New formation. My favorite 
defender on the team knew who playing center back three in the back if you play fifa three four one two it's a wild <laughs> formation shout um, out fifa makes no sense shout out fifa actually don't ea sports you're awful but i still play your games um <laughs> but yeah goal of the year contender from joao paulo i recommend you all look it up it's just this beautiful build up from the team finish off with a half volley in the air from joao paulo outside the box check it out if you haven't and also, like we did last time, shout out Freddy Montero in his return, Ooh. scoring a cheeky half volley inside the box to put us up 4-0. Sounders for MLS Cup 2021, as we have been every year since 2016. But what really got my gears grinding, Jess. What got your gears week, grinding, Harold? The creation of the so-called European Super League. For all Whoa. y'all that know me, but if you don't, my first loves in life are Seattle sports teams. But even before the Sounders existed as an MLS club in like sixth grade or something like that, I just, there was the craze. I just felt like a lot of my homies were starting to really get into soccer and football, soccer and shout out my NFL kickers, bro. You know, they're the only real like foot <laughs> in the NFL, but no, all my friends in, in middle school were getting like supporting clubs and stuff. And I was just like, really loving soccer at that point in my life just one of the loves of my life just soccer as a whole i've sounders and uh as i will get to here the team i kind of attach myself with but liverpool along with 11 other teams are founding what is called the european super league um where they're going to conceivably branch off from competitions in their domestic league so you've got teams in spain including barcelona and real madrid You've got teams in Italy, like the Milan clubs. You've got six clubs from England, including Liverpool, their arch nemesis, Manchester United, our arch nemesis, Manchester United, who oddly enough, work very closely with Liverpool on this entire venture, which just seems draconian in so many ways. And then you've got teams like Tottenham's, Manchester City, Arsenal, like we're all in this together, but you all have never even won a European tournament. So to try to to put yourselves in a position where you have really the 15 to 20 richest teams in the world, regardless of any history are about to go ahead with a self-proclaimed super league. Again, what is so super about having these teams that have never won a champions league or never won, um, let alone one tournament within their own, you know, their own, their own, uh, their own country. It will represent three countries out of 50 that are per that are in the current iteration of the Champions League. Um, and it's all because of greed. It's all because of the oligarchy of these clubs and the money they want to make. And they use the example of COVID-19 losses. Like there is no one that could ever tell me the amount of losses that a multi-billion dollar company has can compare it. FIFA would ban any player that played for these 12 teams, including the U.S. son wow. of the Lord and Savior of U.S. soccer, Christian Pulisic, who plays for Chelsea, who is in one of these teams that would join the Super League at the center of it all is just added money for these multi-billion dollar owners and the concentration of power, which includes my team, just focused at the top. And there is never any situation where that makes sense. Thank you for sharing that whole, like, you know, what, what would you call that manifesto on, uh, against <laughs> my man, my You're anti- my anti uh, super league manifesto, anti super yeah, league I mean, manifesto. It's I'm just regurgitating. Yeah, I'm just regurgitating talking points from the European and local like U.S. soccer podcasts and and articles I've read throughout the day, along with my own 
little opinion on it being that my club is going to lead to this. So I was talking to one of my friends earlier and they were like, there's just no way it can happen. And how I said it was, I kind of feel that, but at the same time, it's really 50, 50 at this point because they do have all the money and the power. It's going to be very difficult to dissuade them from making this happen because they've officially started withdrawing from competition. So it's happening. We'll follow up. It won't be my 20 minute, 10 minute, like little rant here. I'm just, we'll edit it down for everyone. But yeah. No, man, I, I love it. I love And Harold, you bring up a good point about American consumerism and American capitalism, capitalism, capitalism. you know, uprooting and capitalism, <laughs> uprooting communities that have had such a big stake in, you know, different movements, the culture of community, which is what you talked about just in terms of soccer and football in Liverpool. But bringing it to the United States, how that has affected gentrification and displacement of black and brown communities, which is our big picture story for this podcast today. So one of the things that we're going to be highlighting here is just the Filipino town in Seattle, uh, as well as highlighting the black influence in the central district, um, you know, a neighborhood where Harold and I have grew up in, you know, with Garfield High School and, you know, our different spots that we remember back in the day but just starting up here um talking about filipino town seattle you know the filipino town seattle was built around the different waves of immigration to the united states so considering the four different waves um as history link you know sponsored by the university of washington how they put all of these historical archives together in documenting how immigration has shaped the Seattle community. So thinking about wave one before 1906, we saw some immigrants come over, um, mainly on the West Coast. But where it really starts to pick up is around wave two from 1906 to 1945, which is where you see a lot of the historical influence um, that you can see from Carlos Bulosan's America is in the Heart, one of the autobiographies and first-hand testimonials of Carlos Bulosan, who is from the Pangasinan province in the Philippines, and how he talked about his immigration story, um, going through the different hotels occupied by labor workers, cannery workers, um, and him, as well as seeing the other manungs, or the older Filipino gentlemen and bachelors who looked for work um, either in the fields, in the canneries, um, as blue-collar workers. And that was a way to get their jobs to supplant themselves as they um, started their new American life. And that was also where the Filipino community of Seattle, their community center, uh, was based on how it got started in 1935. Um, as the anniversaries coming up here, for FCS, that's definitely a big thing to talk about and how they continue the culture. One thing we also want to talk about is Wave 3, so post-World War II, 1945 to 1965. We can really see how World War II had an effect on Filipino-Americans, either joining the military, um, just to you know have that sense of patriotism, but also how that affected their lives moving forward in having the progression of um, Filipino nurses come to the United States in terms of supporting um, the medical profession here and how the different laws and policies, you know, supported by these imperialists, by consumerists, by capitalist tendencies of the United States um, really pushed for that influx of Filipino nurses in the medical profession. And we have here with wave four looking at 
post-1965 after um, one of the immigration acts there. I'm just thinking of some um, older the older Filipino generations and some names that you might be familiar of, Harald, thinking about Uncle Bob Santos, um, one of the members of the Gang of Four who identified as Filipino-American. He was the regional rep for the Department of Housing and Urban Development, um, as well as Bernie White Bear, uh, who also identified as Filipino um, and was uh, a member of one of the indigenous communities in Seattle, too. And also thinking about... Um, our Filipina members in government. So thinking about Dolores Sabongo, the first Filipina Seattle City Council oh, member. Geez. Elected in 1979. And Velma Valoria, elected in 1992 as a Washington State Legislator of the 11th District. So it's crazy to think about how that culture has you know, supplanted the Filipino-American community here in Seattle, but also considering how that's affected the different changes we see in the neighborhoods, both with gentrification and displacement, um, that our friend is going to talk about, Myron Banez, who's done a lot of research on this. We're going to be interviewing him right after this big picture story and talking about the research that he built around this and just looking at the history of displacement, but also um, ethnic enclaves and how the Filipino-American community continues to grow and thrive. And just bringing that to the present day, just really quickly, I want to highlight two um, Filipino um, influencers or just members of the community we want to shout out here is Cynthia Delastrinos, uh, one of the Tukwila C- City Council members, also a Garfield Bulldog alum. Just got to shout her out because of the shout Bulldog out. connection. Shout out. And Sophia Aragon, who is a Burien City Council member, repping the University of Washington, Seattle U. And, fun fact, her own canvas for her. Do you want to talk about your experience with uh, working with Sophia Aragon? Yeah. No, I mean, I was a part of a couple Burien City Council races in late 2019. Uh, and they were amazing, and we just involved a lot of knocking on doors. And um, that's what we did for Kevin Schilling and Sophia Aragon. Uh, who is going to continue serving <laughs> right now, like as it's almost been a year since that happened, uh, which is wild to think about, or over a year now, um, almost two years, jeez, um, since we knocked on doors for her and uh, Kevin as well, but obviously with Sophia. Um, she is just on the city council now, Roland, and it was one of the largest margins of victory in city council history. And it's uh, great to see someone represented um, at the highest level of local governance. You love to see it. That, shout out, awesome, shout out you, Sophia. <laughs> shout out to Sophia, who also talked in one of my classes back at SU. Proud, proud Red Hawk as well. Proud Red Hawk. Um, but tying it back, so we talked about the Filipino American experience um, and how that's shaped, you know, the different types of community involvement. But let's talk about the Central District for a bit. I know you did some research, Harald, but, you know, how has that really shaped how, you know, the black community, the different communities of color have been impacted by the effects of gentrification, displacement in Seattle? Right. Because obviously we can't even begin to speak on how something like gentrification and displacement would affect our communities before we talk about one of, if not the Marquis area of the city where gentrification has just blown into a second gear, third gear in the last 10, 20 odd years. 
um, which is um, trying to delve into the history of the Central District, um, Seattle's historically black neighborhood, uh, for a large portion of the 20th century, going into what we are seeing now with the mass displacement and um, gentrification of our area we're from and we talk about a lot. Um, some of the earliest black residents of the city were William Gross and his family, um, who bought acres of land, several acres of land from Henry Yesler, a settler of Seattle as well during that time uh, around the Madison Valley. Um, and he let um, black folks build homes and businesses and areas for community spaces on that property um, when racist housing practices like redlining um, and racial covenants uh, took hold on the area. Um, and it was a spot where Seattle's growing black community at the time uh, in the late 1800s was really beginning to flourish. Um, and it was at a time like around World War one, I want to believe, um, or yeah, around World War One, the uh, I'm so used to saying World War Two for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah, World War One, the CD became a place where majority of the residents uh, became uh, a majority of the residents were black, and uh, along with some pockets along Jackson Street that were culturally intertwined with the Chinese and growing Japanese community in the area as well. Um, but what really made the CID and the CD the only places POC and especially black folks in the area. Um, it was the only place where they were allowed to live. It was the only, uh, not even just due to the, um, well, obviously mainly because of the um, housing uh, disparities um, at the time, but also just a lack of access to loans, the racist policies by banks. Um, there, I read an article about someone who still lives in the Central District who spoke on how it was anything but easy growing up in, all, albeit, she said, a, a community space mostly made up of Black folk and people of color that were very friendly to each other on the street and had a sense of community in the area. Um, they, the number eight, or they wouldn't, they, you know, the bus line that runs on 23rd um, didn't exist for a long period of time. They had to lobby the heck out of city and state and local government to make sure that they got one, literally the thoroughfare of the Central District is 23rd. And they wasn't there wasn't even a bus there growing up for 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 her and and her community and her family. Um, so we're looking at a time now where even in the late '60s, the CD grew exponentially to being from 45% black to 84%, um, and now less than 20% of the CD is black. Um, in a Seattle Times article we read, it estimated that by 2025 it could be less than 10. And that comes at a time where over 20% of the CD is now made up of Asian American, Pacific Islander people, um, folks. The uh, white population has thus also climbed to nearly 60 plus percent of the area that not only 50 years ago was 84% black. Um, along with the 50% growth in property taxes, there, these are just several examples of what has led to the displacement and the gentrification of the CD as we used to know it. And as us, you know, growing up, we didn't grow up when it was historically black as, and we've even see it like from its smaller percentage of what it used to be thriving in the seventies and the sixties uh, versus what it was even us grow for us growing up, like, you know, Garfield, we love Garfield and we rep it, but you know, Garfield's majority growing to be a majority white school of school run by AP programs and certain wealth disparities that come along with that. And you didn't walk around the neighborhood and see like, it being that 84, even close to that, you know, versus what those numbers were talking about, about like just the, the drop off and the ability to own land and have home ownership in a place that was not only like racially 
segregated by redlining in so many ways is just being quote unquote taken back by a wealthier white majority. While we also, I wanted to mention that we make up 20% as a community, the API community of the CD now. It's just nowhere near where, you know, those folks have moved in through housing developments on 23rd and Union. I mean, Jess, we could talk about how 23rd and Union was like the center of that massive push for the building of housing on 23rd and Jackson, 23rd and Union. Um, Ike's going up, but I know a lot of people have a problem with um, uh, things like the housing developments across the streets. Uh, sure, you've got like Taco Chuki's there. Multi-unit, multi-family unit housing is important in a growing city like ours that needs housing for affordable housing for people. But when you knock down the only gas station for blocks on end on, on 23rd and Union, the 76, the 76 you take man. down Red Apple on 23rd and Union, you replace it with an Amazon Fresh. Oh. That is gentrification, folks. Um, Just quick anecdote on the Red Apple, though. Do you remember when we went there, like... I think a week before, a week or a month before it was about to close, you and I got some hot food it there was sad. in the deli. I mean, I just, me and my but grandma went there growing up all the time yeah. after school because we went to Washington. We've just gone to school in this area for so long. Right. But like to be someone who's yeah. black and had land and ownership of a house and housing in this area and then either getting displaced by rising property taxes, by uh, real estate folks that are predatory in the ways that they come after trying to buy houses. Um it's a whole cycle of of displacement for black and brown people. But for this area in particular, the black community has just been gentrified out of a place that historically was theirs and was their own area for so long. Um, and even the wealth gap is just unbelievable in Seattle when we just move away from talking about gentrification in the CD. I think there are Seattle Times was had an article out that was like, there is a massive wealth gap along racial and ethnic lines in the Seattle area um, that really shows that when you talk about, okay, okay, this is going to be the massive wealth gap part. It's going to be really quick, just an edit. The wealth gap that exists alongside the gentrification of the CD for Black folks is just like in the wealth gap in the city of Seattle in particular. Seattle Times article denoted that there is across the U.S. households headed by a white or Asian person living here for medium net worth um, is hovering around 450000 for the household heads of folks that are living in Seattle right now, whereas for Latino households, it's around 90%. And for Black households, it is only 23000 or sorry, $90,000 for Latino households. We're almost there. Okay. Again, does it ignore that? And when we even talk about with the massive wealth gap amongst various ethnic minorities and, and white folks in this city as Seattle look like compared to what we just talked about with the gentrification of the CD, our part in it, uh, folks moving into the area and their part in it as well, um, that that massive wealth gap is so... It's it's just it's ridiculous. It's we're looking at for the U.S. households headed in this area by a white or Asian person here having a median net worth around four hundred fifty thousand dollars. For Latino households, it's around ninety thousand, and for Black household, it is a mere meager twenty three thousand um, dollars. And it, it's just something that this area has had never reckoned with for a long time. It's just like for as liberal as we are, and for all the improvements and movements we make as a community versus other U.S. cities. This is just housing and housing development for folks that have been displaced 
historically by influxes of wealth by you know not just white people but like we talked about even asian american households can like play a part in how we like are part of that system that doesn't allow the growth of black wealth in the area um so we just want to give a little shout out at the end of this um big picture segment to at least leave someone leave somewhat of a call to action um we want to shout out africa town community land trust um they are a local organization uh headed by multiple small business owners community members that are historically from the central district that are black of the african diaspora and uh, their mission is to acquire develop and steward land in greater seattle to empower and preserve the black diaspora community that they believe has been completely pushed out by gentrification and displacement as we just spoke on um a little bit of background on them is following the historic inclusive development agreement reached on the Liberty Bank building, which is on 23rd and Union, a plus the Africatown Community Land Trust was formed in June 2016, culminating from work from the Union Street Business Association and Africatown stakeholders to acquire and facilitate heritage-rich development at that Midtown Center. Uh, the land trust was also identified as the vehicle to hold Africatown ownership interest in the Liberty Bank building um, and what we're going to know here very soon is the old fire station six on 23rd and Yesler getting converted to the William Gross Center for Cultural Innovation, throwing it back to one of the original black settlers on in this area of Seattle. Um, you can find out more information on how to donate to that land trust um, and or volunteer and learn more about them at www.africatownlandtrust.org. Throwing it back to NPR. You know, it's very deep history, very deep history. That's what we love to do on these deep, deep historical dives. But yeah, everything that Jess spoke on into what we wanted to identify, because, you know, this is where we live, but also we can't not identify and acknowledge that that history, albeit it was a very shortened history of what is a very culturally rich and deep it back to um, NBR. area. It's just, you know, I, I can't even totally. get into the influential heads that have walked the streets on, on 23rd and what folks went through, like living through that period of time. I mean, even my family, they didn't grow up. We didn't grow up near here. Like my main kin grew up, you know, kind of South Seattle more so, but like this being a part of this, like yeah. this area is a privilege and just like you learned that a lot growing up, but hopefully for those that didn't have that, added sense of mind that we're able to teach y'all a little bit about not only gentrification in our area, but kind of how it impacted the Filipinos as well as the black community. Totally. And, you know, thank you for enlightening me today too, Harold, about more info on the central district and its history. I think, you know, it's really important. And, you know, for all the listeners out there, if you have a chance to learn more about the place and the space on which you occupy and which you live, work and play, um, we totally encourage you to learn more. Uh, it's really important to understand the history and the future of where your neighborhoods are growing and the community is developing. And on that note, we want to tie into our interview and one of my good friends from Seattle University, Myron Banez. He is a fourth year student at Seattle University and an upcoming Master of Urban Planning candidate at the University of Pennsylvania. Yes, we love to see this grad Pennoy out there. Myron, please don't kill us for yeah, that, but <laughs> we just got to shout you out. It's such a big deal, um, you know, as a first generation student um, to be going to one of the great 
universities uh, for urban planning and just doing the work. But going into that work as well, uh, Myron also did some research into ethnic enclaves, especially for Filipino towns, not only in Seattle, but also in California, where he's from, and different regions where the Filipino-American population was thriving. So we're going to hop to that conversation. We hope you enjoy it, and it'll be fun chatting about community development, all things Filipino town, and where we go from here. And with that, we will cut to this musical break. This week, we are brought to you by our unofficial sponsor, Michelin Tires. You want to get on the road with your car? Michelin Tires. Now on with the show. And we're back. Thanks, everyone, for sticking with us over that break. We have our friend interview today on episode two on our theme of gentrification and the displacement of black, brown, and Filipino communities. Today, I brought in a friend for our interview, the great, the wonderful, the talented Pinoy, Pen Pinoy, Myron Banez. Whoa. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. Look. Welcome to the pod. It's so Welcome ugly. Pod. Do you want me to redo that? I can redo that. No, no, no I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, But for the folks out there, um, Myron will introduce himself, but I'll just give a quick rundown. Myron and I were classmates in the public affairs program at Seattle University. We went back with the Connections Leadership Program at the Office of Multicultural Affairs, OMA, at Seattle U. Uh, I didn't really know him at the time, but, you know, we we have that civic engagement connection there. Um, so shout out to everyone at OMA, shout out to our CLP gang. We just want to bring it back to public affairs because that's what we're about to do. Anyway, Myron, if you would please introduce yourself, tell the people a little bit about you and all the great work that you're doing. Of course. First of all, just friends. Are you sure? Uh, I mean, we can be more than friends. Okay, best friends. Shut up. (laughs) Good Lord. (laughs) This is going to be chaotic for minutes. It's all you, Myron. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Myron Banez. I'm originally from Vallejo, California, and currently I'm a senior at Seattle U studying international economic development, minoring in public policy. And this fall, I'm headed to the University of Pennsylvania for my master's of city planning, wow. concentrating in housing, community, economic development. 
<laughs> yes, Ivy Lee. Let's get a round of applause. Mas- continuing we have education. Our, uh, Penn Noy in the house today. <laughs> Penn Noy. Yeah, so considering that you're going to be starting your urban planning graduate program in the fall, uh, is there anything that you're looking forward to um, just in terms of the areas of research that you're going to be delving into? Any professors that you're interested in learning from? I think there's two things that I'm most excited about at UPenn. I think the first one is that UPenn is one of the only urban planning programs in the country that has kind of like a research focus or area just for immigration and immigrant communities because a lot of my past research and work has been with the Filipino community. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know, I worked as a research associate for the Filipino American National Historical Society or FONS. just being able to learn about Filipino towns, Little Manila is really cool. And UPenn, surprisingly, is the only place that has the opportunity for me to do so. And then second, I think it'd be really cool to learn about ethnic enclaves from a different perspective because I've grown up and lived in the West Coast for all my life. I only understand Filipino towns and Chinatowns and basically any ethnic enclave on the West Coast. So seeing how community development is formed in the East Coast would be pretty cool to see. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I can totally feel you on the difference between sides of the country. I'll never forget the first time I visited the East coast and just, I mean, the culture is vibrant as ever, but just like the outlay of the land just how everything's set up, how people are just like, even compared to folks over here in Washington, California, it's just like miles, miles, miles separate. That, that just sounds like a wild experience you're about to have to get your master's. That's amazing. But you talked about ethnic enclaves and I know, that was a big part of your research uh, for the senior capstone. Just in terms of, you know, where you want to take that in terms of a direction, um, was there a specific part of the ethnic enclaves that you'd like to delve into more? Or could you give the people, (laughs) give the people, but could you give um, our viewers a little bit more about, um, you know, why this work matters to you? Why does it matter that we study the history of you know, Filipino towns in Seattle, Vallejo, wherever they gathered community across the U.S. Why is why is that important? Why does that matter? Of course, King. <laughs> <laughs> so for the public affairs major, Jess and I had to make a um, senior synthesis, and mine was called Urban Bayanihan, the role of ethnic enclaves in the Filipino diaspora. So basically, I just studied different Filipino towns, Little Manila's on the West Coast, primarily Los Angeles, Stockton, and Seattle. And it was just to observe the way that community was formed, both physically and socially, and then what can we do to help sustain that community or to help further build it in the future. And I think people should really, hmm, people should understand that this work is really important because these are places that were built out of a lot of hatred from society. So, yeah, that's awesome. And Myron, you talked about the importance of ethnic enclaves. Could you tell the, our listeners what does that mean? So, an ethnic enclave is basically just a space or a neighborhood that is very densely populated by a specific group of people. Um, so, for example, we have Chinatowns, Japan towns. Um, Filipino towns and etc. And historically, these should be places that were heavily settled by immigrants. And I think ethnic enclaves is kind of it can be debated on like the mechanics of what would 
composed of an ethnic enclave because it can be such things as like this neighborhood of one city, although not officially called a Filipino town, can just be filled with hella Filipinos. And to those people, that can be their little ethnic enclave. So it depends who you talk to, and people always interpret it very differently. But basically, it's self-explanatory, just <laughs> a bunch of people in one place who make up like the businesses, the culture, social life, and everything. Mm. So on that end, it's like not monolithic. It's like ever changing. It's an active part of yeah. how the community identity grows out. Yes. Right, right on. Like, like how some people might think of, in at least in like Seattle in particular, how people might think of certain regions as being historically uh, black, historically API, like, you know, the whole... I don't even need to go into the the massive fight between when, you know, Chinatown became, you know, politically considered in the city to be the ID, the international district. And obviously like there being roots of Filipino town, even in old Chinatown, you know, still Chinatown, but no, that's incredibly interesting. I mean, do you see, do you, do you see there being like from city to city in a lot of ways? I mean, it's just kind of like a short, um, question to pull off of what you just spoke on but even from like city to city so even from as like far south as la to like as far north as seattle like are there a huge difference in how these ethnic enclaves are um kind of made up of like the same communities in different areas like they'll pull from the culture i don't really know how to distinguish the culture of the northwest versus like socal or so- southern california but is there a distinct difference when it comes to like the cities and where those ethnic enclaves exist? So for example, are you saying like a Chinatown up here versus a Chinatown in like LA, for example? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Hmm. It's very dependent on what culture it is. So for Filipino town, for example, um, Los Angeles historic Filipino town is massive. It was one of only two historically, not historically, um, it's only one of two neighborhoods are designated as a historic Filipino town. And that one was kind of set up to be the biggest one because LA was naturally one of the places that most Filipinos immigrated to. Um, Seattle also had a lot of that, but if you understand Seattle's history, especially in the CID, it is just like a big mixing pot of a lot of different cultures. So in a way it was kind of, it wasn't necessarily planned or forced for the Filipinos not to be so concentrated, but it kind of just naturally happened that like a lot of like Chinese people, a lot of black people, a lot of Japanese people were all in the same space as Filipinos. And there wasn't as much space to like create a Filipino town necessarily. Yeah, that makes sense. And thinking about like probably around the turn of the century into pre-World War II, you had a lot of, um, you know, the Manongs, the older generation that came for work right? Those that worked in the canneries, um, you know, in the fish farms, as they call it, how they also worked as laborers in the fields in, you know, eastern Washington, Oregon, California. But also how you talked about there was the kind of the melting pot of different cultures. So you had, you know, the Chinese community, you had the black community and the Filipino community, as well as other communities that were trying to find their roots in place. And this kind of goes into, you know, what we learned, Harald, here about Seattle history in that there was such a huge, like, jazz culture. Having these dance halls, like, lined up, up and down Jackson Street. But we don't really see that anymore. Um, so just in terms of, like, continuing the culture, do you ever think that there will be a revival 
of some of the old things that were brought on or do you think that was just like a generational like timestamp if that makes sense yeah i think that it was definitely a generational timestamp because historically um seattle's filipino town was comprised of a bunch of little how would you call it different clubs and little what are those called like org like smaller than organizations but not yeah it's like organization houses or like pool houses Mm. um there's a lot of pool houses in seattle cid and that basically is what made up seattle's filipino town in the cid and it kind of just became natural when a lot of Filipinos began to migrate from Seattle to Alaska, Seattle to the Bay Area, Seattle to other parts of the country that people are leaving and no one's going to be able to maintain this space. And as people, as Filipinos, you know, start progressing their careers to become like, <laughs> like accountants, lawyers, doctors, things like that. No one really wants to go back into that type of living or to have that type of lifestyle anymore. So I think just as people are progressing in life, they don't want to go back to those roots. However, Seattle's Filipino town is not dead. It's still here, but it just needs a lot more attention in terms of physicality. So there's not enough Filipino businesses. There's not enough real estate or space for Filipinos to really create space um, in the CID. And I think if there was more of that, then we would be more prominent to seeing Seattle Filipino town. Yeah. But Myron, I was yeah. also wondering kind of how your, um, you said you're from grew up in California and now you're here at Seattle. You, do you want to talk about how your upbringing and just like growing up, up until now getting entrenched in, in higher ed, um, has kind of framed this career that you've built in higher ed. Um, not obviously like with the job in it or anything yet, but just from the work you've done, um, especially what I touched on earlier with the comparisons, between like California and Seattle and our communities and how they differ and are very similar in ways. Yeah. So growing up in Vallejo, California, if you Google it, it's like, I think number six or something for the biggest Filipino population in the U S outside of the Philippines. And it was pretty much like going to school every day from kindergarten to high school my class was f- full of Filipinos going to the grocery store, going to Costco or Target. It was all Filipinos walking in the streets. I always heard Tagalog, Ilocano, whatever. So that really instilled a big piece of me of what it meant to have culture embedded into your city or into the spatial like composition of where you live. And then moving to Seattle, it was a really big culture shock because I wasn't used to walking on the street or going to Safeway and then hearing a bunch of just white people in the neighborhood because Vallejo honestly almost has like no white. Well, growing up, it almost had no white people. So coming to Seattle, it was just so weird that Filipinos weren't the first people I'll see no matter where I go. And for me coming to the CID, it felt really good to have that. It felt good to have a place of other Asians in the area, but it was still kind of weird to not have that Filipino space. And for me, the Filipino space was kind of wherever I wanted it to be. So like, whether it be like 
Filipino club at SU or Northwest FASA or whether it be being with Filipinos at Oasis, like those were my only Filipino spaces and pockets. And it was, it was pretty uncomfortable, but it taught me that like Filipinos are really good at making community and making space for each other no matter where we go. I think it's very representative of Seattle's Filipino town because honestly, it exists socially and emotionally, but physically it's not as prominent anymore. And then I think learning about Resolution 31754 in Seattle, which was the policy that was planning to upzone the CID, they had marked off historic Manila town. And then it caused a lot of tension between the Filipino community and the Chinese community in the CID. And just that feeling of just seeing like our space being crossed off or our history being crossed off was very uncomfortable and very aggravating to see. So I think that just pushed me more to even be in this career, to be in this field, because we can make space however we want and we're really good at that. So why don't we just keep capitalizing on it? Yeah. And that totally makes sense just in terms of, you know, the Filipino community being social, you know, we don't need to necessarily place roots anywhere, but we're always moving. We're always active um, on that front as well. And you mentioned the fact of the resolution by it was Seattle City Council. Is that correct? That was like a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think 2016. And uh, as far as I know, like there's that like historic Filipino town, like red kiosk like panel like across the street from hing hey that like mm-hmm. talks about like the history of filipinos in seattle but doesn't necessarily like say hey like here's like some filipino owned businesses you know in our community and because of that erasure do you think that you know that has been a part of gentrification or that has just been something that led up over time just because of you know the fact that Filipinos were kept on moving, like you said, because we're a sociable community instead of, mm-hmm. you know, place-based. Yeah, there is definitely a lot of factors that went into that. But the first one definitely was we were being gentrified by other East Asian businesses in the CID. Based on my research, Six and King was the biggest, the biggest hotspot for Filipino businesses back in the day. And then when you had other businesses like Fuji Bakery come in, or I can't remember other ones in the area, but once they came in, it kind of pushed Filipinos out. And then another thing was, yeah, back to my point earlier, Filipinos just got professional jobs and moved to the suburbs. And no one really wanted to come back into the area because they just figured that. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess growing up in Seattle our whole lives, I I don't know if you relate to this. You probably relate to it a little less to me, Jess, because... I was like somewhere in that middle zone between AP um, for those that don't know in Seattle, I'm sure it's across the country, but it's like, it's that, it's that education system in basic ed where like there's regular, there's spectrum, which is like a year ahead technically. And then you have AP, which is you put fast track on kids to go to the Ivy leagues and like places like Michigan, UW, you know, it's problematic in its own sense, but I was in spectrum. So like a lot of my friends growing up were, were just white, it, you know, the racial disparities, growing up in the central district and like Leshi and at our schools were so separated by just straight up, just separated by race and wealth and just like your background. Um, 
and this place is 77% white. Like the entire city is like um, over, if, if not exactly at three fourths, it's over three fourths white. So I couldn't imagine what it would be like to just like walk outside. And again, we've been through this in the podcast. I'm not going to see dudes who look like me. I'm Norwegian. I'm very white and Filipino too. So it's that combo, but see people from the culture, people that look like you every single day. Um, it's just wild. I literally had to go to the next whitest plate place in the state of Washington over in Pullman to then meet my actual Filipino community, which is even wild in some sense. There's more Filipinos at WSU than there are in like the main part of old Filipino town. It's just, it's wild. But you know, we talked about the businesses that are back up and running there. I don't know if you've ever seen on, well, you might not have seen it, Myron. This was like five years ago on PBS just, but we, you know, shout out Gio again from blue scholars. There is a little segment that he has, uh, if you would just like what had channel nine on locally, um, you would see him give like a little six, seven minute rundown of um, old Manila town or old Filipino town in Seattle. And it was amazing. And it's just like a quick little rundown of like what it was. So, I mean, just talked about everything Myron spoke on. Shout out to Geo, really cool. Blue Scholars. Favorite song is North by Northwest. Always keeping it fresh. Whoa, but he's also one of the co-owners of Hood Famous. Is that right? Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, his wife oh. is the main owner. Yeah, Love if you him. need yes. cheesecakes, if you got any pastries, ube pastries, uh, this is our unofficial shout out, by the way, to Hood Famous Bake Shop, uh, located <laughs> there on whatever street that is, uh, next to Wajimaya, in the Publix, old Publix Hotel. We just want to shout out them, one of the Filipino-owned businesses. Hey, shit. Also, shout out another Filipino business. Shout out, uh, I, I, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but Chris Ice Cream, Chris Ice Cream. They release uh, small batch um, ice creams that they make, and they're all Filipino based. And uh, it's a Panay owned ice cream shop. And I picked up two pints of their Ube ice cream that have chunks of the hood famous Ube cheesecake in the Ube ice cream. <laughs> it sounds like a heart attack, but we bought it and we picked it up today. Um, but moving on from delicious food <laughs> options in Seattle, <laughs> was there anything about your specific, uh, specific experience at Seattle U, Myron, that um, added to your understanding of how it even impacts just like the gentrification of the main zone around Seattle U, where it falls in between, you know, the Central District, the CID, and um, Capitol Hill? And what that has been like so far, you said you're a senior, so you're entering your final year. Um, just going off of what we talked about with comparing your hometown to, to here, was there anything that you just saw, like the university? Um, I don't want you to say anything that's going to get you kicked out of school because we love seeing the homies graduate. But is there anything you saw that uh, stuff that you were a part of or using the university um, add to how the gentrification impacted that very crucial um, part of our communities in Seattle, that area that Seattle U is in. Mm-hmm. This necessarily is it something I have seen or experienced, but something that I learned instead. So I think it was 2019, 2020, I was the activities chair for SU's Filipino club. And I was meeting with one of the elders in the community. His name was Robert Floor. And I was planning an event with him. And one day we kind of just sat for about like an hour or two and we just talked about his upbringing because he was raised, I think it was on East Jefferson Street. So for anyone 
who went to SU or who is familiar with SU's campus, East Jefferson Street is where Campion Hall stands, and that used to be his home. So he was saying that the Campion Hall area and the SU Park area, those used to be the next biggest spot for Filipinos. So in a way, SU was also gentrifying the Filipino community in this neighborhood. And what they did was they just forced them to leave, but also had them work on campus. So I remember Uncle Rob was saying how he would work, I think it was as like a driver or a dishwasher for SU. Um, and that was his way of getting to have an education. But this neighborhood where SU stands today was just full of a bunch of communities of color and SU just wiped them all out to create more space for a park and for a dorm. And it was really interesting to hear about, but I don't think that there's any like artifacts or any um, pieces out there that people can really look at to show that that was real. It was kind of him showing me all of his old baby photos, all of his drawings from memory about different maps um, in the area. And I even saw it, like he took a photo at East Jefferson as a baby and I saw the houses that I see today, but just his place and all the Filipinos and all the black people where we all lived, it was torn down to build a dorm. <laughs> Man, that's so tragic and heartbreaking, but also just want to add in this quick anecdote. Um, I like grew up like when I was born, like all the way into elementary school, there was an old like house on the corner of Broadway and Jefferson. That's where, you know, my parents rented out for a place. Um, that's where like I grew up as a kid and our landlords were Filipino. So, you know, maybe like there could have been some crossing between my parents and Robert <laughs> Floor since, you know, he's still active in terms of that advocacy there. But yeah, I just think it's wild in that, you know, all of the things that we grow up to see, you know, in our neighborhoods and how they've gentrified over the past couple of years, there's such a weird like impact, right? Because like you grow up around, you know, people that you're familiar with, that you're close to through these community ties. But then as as I've gotten older, a lot of the people that I see now don't reflect the communities that I hung out with as a kid. And that's such a crazy thing about gentrification here in Seattle and also thinking about the Filipino American experience like um, Uncle Rob was, you know, sharing with you, right? Because he had that place-based memory living on Jefferson Street, you know, similar to mine growing up on Jefferson Street, but also seeing like how that also continues onto you, right? Because, you know, even though you're from Vallejo, you went to Seattle U, you know, he's passing on these stories to you, you know, kind of like the Lolos and Lolas yeah. <laughs> sharing their stories with you. Yeah, all but, oral culture, like just like all the stories shared. Yeah. And that's the great thing about, you know, Filipino culture. We're such like rich storytellers, of course, like with you, Harald, and you, Myron. And that's the one great thing about it and that we can get these gems of wisdom and pass on like how... Uncle Rob's time changed to your time and then how that's going to affect, you know, future generations time. So I just think that's wild just to draw that connection there. Um, and definitely thank you for sharing that. And shout out to Uncle Rob for yeah, shout out Uncle his Rob. wisdom. <laughs> Ooh, shout out all the elders. Can I put in a plug real quick? Sure. 
If anyone ever wants to find oral histories like this, please check out Fawn's. If you're in Seattle, it is in the... Do you guys know what school that is? <laughs> that Catholic school? Uh, the Immaculate... Or no, the Lake Washington Girls? Yes, Lake Washington yeah. Girls Middle School. Yes, that's right. If anyone is in Seattle, please check out Fawn's at Lake Washington Girls Middle School. There is a bunch of documentation and history of different oral histories of Filipinos in Seattle. And yeah, they do a lot of great work. And yeah, <laughs> but it's just shout awesome. out to oh, oh. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say shout out to the late great Fred Cordova and uh, the current the matriarch Dorothy Cordova for holding it down. Yeah, um, they've just been like legends here in the Seattle community, especially with Fonz and just like sharing that larger Filipino American history. Shout out to them. This gets me really interested, intrigued down the line, Jess, for inviting other folks on. Myron, Myron's got my uh, got my uh, creative juices flowing. We'll just have to invite some homies on that went to Catholic school in the area too, because that oh. must have been a whole nother. <laughs> I know y'all Jesuit. I know, I, I know, I know the Jesuit background. The Jesuit? Like, no. Oh wow! It said <laughs> coming in hot. Um, no, nah, but like, just what the dynamic must have been at like holy names and and O'Day, where my grandfather went, and even far down the Kennedy Catholic. Um, high school. It's literally my entire family. All my mom and aunties and uncles went there. That just must have been wild. Um, but Myron, we've loved having you on today. You've taught us so much. Hopefully the listeners have taken a lot out of this and, you know, getting away from obviously what your s- sense of study is in going over to UPenn um, here real soon. Ooh. What? Yeah. One more round. Look at that. We love, we love to see it. Um, what other joys and passions do you have outside your life at school? Cause I feel like we've been asking, about myron the educator but what about myron the person you know not gonna lie i'm pretty boring (laughs) i know listen listen i do enjoy working out and like being active and all that but a lot of my free time was also devoted to researching the filipino community in seattle or vallejo and i think that i'm just (laughs) naturally very nerdy and curious and interested <laughs> um but that's how i spend most of my time and like making gis maps if anyone knows what gis is so shout out to all the gis yo shout out gis <laughs> <laughs> um yeah honestly academia really fucked me up <laughs> it's not oh, my man. fault it's academia <laughs> Uh, one last thing I wanted to add um, before <laughs> you hop off. Um, we have this special shout out section towards the end of every friend interview we have. Are there any special shout outs you'd like to give to, you know, any people, any loved ones, any recommendations you have just in terms of Jer- arts Jared, culture? Yeah, Jared shout out Lightning McQueen last time. McQueen. So, like, you know, there's like, yo, I can't talk today. Yo, it's anyone, anything uh, fictional or not. <laughs> There's no filter on the shoutouts. You can give as many <laughs> as you want. Let's see. Let's see. The first one, I want to give a big shout out to Dr. Marie Rose Wong. If anyone knows who that Ooh. is, she's our studies and urban planning queen at SU, who is now, no one knows where she is, but <laughs> she's um, the next I one. I love her. The Titas at Fonz. They're like 70, 80 years old and they're still hard at work. So <laughs> hell yeah. Just amazing. Damn, a big round of applause. Let's see, let's see, let's see. 
Oh, <laughs> shout out to Carlos Sanchez and CJ Andrea Molo, who both did a lot of work in helping me research about Seattle's Filipino town and Filipino history. Without them, I would have lost my mind or wouldn't have been able to really understand it to the best of my abilities. So thank you to those homies. You know, writing Ooh. a thesis without without leaders that, <laughs> that have done the, the work before you is a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah. Cite your sources. Cite your sources. Cite your sources. Um, but yeah, that's it. I I don't care for most people. Shout out, you know, yourself. Like that is that's the main yes. that's the main lesson here. Wait, I kind of wanted to add on to stuff earlier. <laughs> Am I allowed? Yeah, to? yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. It goes back to the point about if there's ever gonna be a revival of Filipino town or Little Manila. But what I was thinking was the reason why we can't get that old life back, you know, of having those little town halls, pool houses, or little clubs, honestly, is due to capitalism. Because if a lot of us didn't have to get these high paying jobs or like just work so much, then we would be able to really rebuild and form that community because when you run those, you really don't make any money. All you're there for is just to create a space and to let people just enjoy and like live in it. And if we didn't live in a very capitalistic fucked up society, then we definitely could see a lot of Filipino towns popping up across the country. A lot of other, I think enclaves popping across the country. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to circle back to that. Just you know, anything. And with that, Myron, on that note, we just want to thank you for sharing your thoughts, wisdom, and ideas with us today. Um, Haral, do you have any other thoughts that you know you'd like to share with our time from hearing from Myron today? You know, Myron, I just felt like I went through a 400 level course at the top university in the country. Myron's going to UPenn. Good luck. Homie, this is going to be a, that's going to be an amazing time, and I've learned so much today, as I hope the listeners have. So thanks again for coming on. We've got our Pennoy future professor of urban uh, planning and public policy. Oh yes, going to be rising through the ranks. Going to be taking that tenured track position at one of the <laughs> upcoming universities around Tenure the country. Tenured track, he's in when I'm 65. Oh, hey, make the research ready. space for us. Make the research space for us, because historically. <laughs> We've been the ones that have been researched, but it's time for us to give it back. So, Myron, Ooh, wow. thank you for all the wisdom today. Really appreciate it. Any other final thoughts on your end before we wrap up here? Um, thank you both for having me. You're both really sexy. <laughs> Bless. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> it was great to have this space to talk about, you know, an issue that I care about. And I hope that other people can, you know, learn more about or hopefully take action as well in whatever form that they, that they seem feasible. But yeah, thank you for your hard work, friends. <laughs> and we'll be back after this short musical interlude. Da, Cut. There, da, <laughs> there da, we go. Da, 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 da.
interviewing Myron. How <laughs> speechless. Myron, you left your friend. You left me speechless. You left us you left speechless, me speechless too. That amazing interview. Yes. Yes. A kind, kind soul indeed. We want to thank you again for being on the show and dropping your gems of wisdom for us on Filipino Town. Not just Oh no. Not yeah. just wisdom. Not just just wisdom. full on just information. Enlightenment. Like, <laughs> enlightenment. Like we like we said, we were on the internet looking up our information <laughs> for the history that we, we gave you all. But this 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 man is living what he studies. So Yeah. Um feel feel that thesis work I, it's not fun so yeah no they, thank you again for coming on myron and uh, blessing us with your uh with your brain power that was awesome and in terms of all things arts music and cultura harald cultura what's on your dial for this week so what's on my dial this week, especially this week, given everything I talked about with the European <laughs> Super League? Uh, again, I realized that was a I was passionate going speech, man. It. I was very passionate. Like like we said, Jess will probably add a little bit out for the y'all because that's the only <laughs> thing that's been on my mind today, in particular. But um, two guys run a podcast called Men in Blazers, as they love, love to call them, the two baldies, uh, <laughs> Roger Bennett, Michael Davies. They run uh, that podcast through NBC Sports and. I've been listening to them for the better part of eight years, even before they got associated with NBC and um, when the Premier League started really getting its hold on the U.S. market and stuff. And they're just hilarious. They're just amazing. I They have the best, most nuanced kind of like viewpoints of how the European game mixes in with the U.S. as well. Like they say, and like not football, they say soccer. They're like, now on to American soccer this week. The San Jose Earthquakes. And they'll be like talking about us like we're on the same level as all these teams in Europe, which is obviously not true. But you can enjoy whatever part of soccer you like the most. It could be it could be the European game. It could be the women's game here locally, like Olympic Leon Rain. Shout out Megan Rapino again. Um, but uh, or the Sounders. So, yeah, if you want to learn more about uh, what I was really angry about and just like in general, uh, just really not in a good mood about soccer this week. Um, they're great. Uh, Raj is from Liverpool. So, you know, he, he's not a Liverpool fan, Everton fan. Again, you'll learn from listening to the podcast, but Michael Davies, he's a big Chelsea supporter. So they'll probably talk about it a little bit more eloquently and research than I did. Like I said, I just read an article and got mad. <laughs> <laughs> Let you all know how I felt. Um, so yeah, shout out men in blazers. Really love them. Uh, we'll continue listening to them for the foreseeable future. Nice, man. Yeah, I got to step up my podcast game, especially in the sports field or, you know, as they call it out there, the the pitch. Uh, the pitch. <laughs> the 90. That's my, that's my extent of Oy. soccer and football. <laughs> but yeah, I got to find a team to support. All I know is PSG, hey, Killian Mbappe. You're a sounder, baby. That's all that's you need. True. That's true, man. But I, but, I need an international know, team to support, support too. Yeah. I feel that. I feel For that. sure. The Filipino national team. Yes, sir. Where, where are we at, man? To the World Cup. To the World Cup. We got to get the... I was about to say the gold, but that's Olympics. <laughs> I'm fake. I'm, I'm a fake fan, no dude. No way. No, no way. <laughs> but South Korea's got a hold on oh, the Eastern. South oh, yeah. Eastern. Oh, yeah. So, Youngman's son. South Korea, son. you're killing it in the soccer game. Oh, Harald knows more than me, but... But I'm just, I'm just a fake fan. Anyway, um, considering what's on my dial for this week, I'll throw it back to music like I did this week because I'm always listening to something new, something old, or something that I've been told. So with that piece, uh, I just want to shout out Herbie Hancock. Um, he hasn't released any new music, but he's been doing a lot of, I just saw this like, 
I don't know if y'all know Jacob Collier. Jacob Collier. Super talented, multi-instrumentalist. Um, he has his album out, Digesse. I, I don't know how you pronounce it. Digess? Digess. 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 If you want to do yeah. something. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I'm sorry, no, Jacob. Good, I'm not you a sound like a talented. Jacob out here. <laughs> nah, he has perfect pitch, bro. He, oh my God, so talented, so talented. But I saw this thing he posted on Instagram. Like, just like, I think it was for a birthday shout out to Herbie Hancock. Shout out Herbie Hancock. I just want to shout out Herbie. Shout out Herbie Hancock himself in one of my favorite songs, uh, Cantaloupe Island. Um, It's such like a classic jazz staple. I mean, Harald, have you played Cantaloupe Island before? I haven't. All I do is play Giant Steps. No, okay. He wants Blood, to flex bro. on the you culture. Know, you, if y'all know about you know giant stairs, he's bro. a John Coltrane. He said John Coltrane. <laughs> the Coltrane changes, oh. man. Can you keep up? Yeah, he That's can keep up. That's an absolute lie. Yeah, no question. <laughs> this man, Harald, is talented Not on like the horn. That. Bringing it back. Shout out the horn. <laughs> yeah, man. But yeah, just want to give my shout out, Cantaloupe Island. Um, listen to it wherever you get your podcasts or music. Um, Highly recommend it. Forty-seven million streams oh on Spotify. Oh my god! So, if you have a chance, <laughs> add yeah, to check that. It out. Forty-seven check million it out. streams. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll we'll be there one day. Forty-seven million <laughs> Yo, streams. Catch us, bro. Catch us. Catch us. Wonder famous. Um, but are there any shout-outs you want to give for all as we uh, continue to wrap it up here? You know, shout out local soccer. I honestly like shout out the grassroots game. Just 100%. I, like I said, I can talk all I want about these super teams and how angry I am at them, but the game will continue. It is the world's game. Whatever. I sound like an idiot American right now. Trust me, this has been my life for 10 years. <laughs> but yeah, no, shout out the local game. Get involved. Get, if you got kids, put them in soccer camps. What are you doing? I, the ones that don't cost a lot because there's, there's a huge wealth disparity in u.s soccer <laughs> which we should also talk about another day but um yeah like start up a team with your homies support your local clubs be a sounder fan be a team be a fan of whatever team is in your city it doesn't mean you have to stop rooting for your a foreign squad but i got a homie that roots for a team that's in the second division of u.s soccer where there isn't relegation and and in promotion they're just in the second division shout out oakland roots they're a team that Marshawn Lynch supports. Like mm. that's a local team that you can just like yeah. go and enjoy with your, with your friends, enjoy it. Like when we're allowed to go back out to the games again, like I can't wait to buy a pint of beer and just like sing all day at the Sounders games and just give that team my all and my, all my passion. And it doesn't even have to be an MLS team. It could be yes, a third division side that you just go to their stadium and you support. So shout out grassroots soccer, little bit of a little, little note of positivity to end after a pretty rough episode of, of pretty pretty tough news but yeah support local stuff always not even just soccer but specifically right now and on that note in terms of supporting local we really want to tie it back to the theme um just learning more about your community you know thinking about the history but also thinking about the present what you can currently do to help out local orgs that are doing great work um, both for civic engagement, civil rights, whatever cause you support in terms of community development. Uh, we really want to make sure that you have a chance, you have a stake to learn more about the people and places in your community. Because without that, 
community just won't thrive. And, you know, we see it in sports. We see it in music. We see it in all of the fabric of institutions that continue to keep community rooted. And that's such an important part. And on that note, we want to thank you for listening to episode two. Again, please be well, be strong, keep on keeping on. You know, shout out to all your loved ones. Give them a hug. Tell them you love them. Shout out to all the cats, dogs, critters, and frogs. And if you're out there, don't stay stuck on a log. Keep you moving, to hear y'all. It. Hey, and, and you got to hear it from me. Brush your damn teeth in the morning <laughs> and at night. Also floss. And then throughout the day, hydrate because it's about to hit. Well, it already hit 80 degrees multiple times. By the time this is going to come out, it's going to be raining. But we're going Drink to water. Months, we're almost there. Yes. Drink a lot of H2O, folks. And also say hi to your neighbor on the street. Even if they're not wearing a mask, just make sure you're, you're decent distance <laughs> away and say, hi, how are you? Because one of the things I read in my research of the CD is that vibrant community also means, like Jess was saying, that you're friendly to people on the street you don't know. So don't just keep your hands in your pocket and stare at the ground. Say, what's up? Keep walking and live your life healthily with a lot of water i'm just gonna go back to that (laughs) there we go unofficial sponsor water keeping you hydrated every single day of your life keeping you hydrated since 1300 bc oh my god (laughs) and we just want to shout it out to the people who make this podcast possible shout out to camille naputo for all of the artwork and design shout out to Jonas heelseth for the music and this is jess wanich and Geraldo said, bringing you Pinoy's versus the world podcast. See y'all in two weeks. Bye.